Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Ben Greenfield, founder of bengreenfieldfitness.com and New York Times bestselling author of Beyond Training. And if you want to achieve the highest level of fitness in your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network Podcast. Today, I am really excited for this interview to be released. This is my conversation with Ben Greenfield. Ben has been on my radar for a little bit now, but I'm really, really excited that we were actually able to sit down and have a chat. But he's a genius of sorts, really. I mean, the dude has such an impressive resume. He is a self-proclaimed nerd, which if you kind of look into his his history, it kind of makes sense. Uh, he got a 4.0 in college in his advanced science courses while he competed as uh, president of the triathlon club while he was the middle for the men's of the volleyball team and whole set for the water polo team and was a muscle bound bodybuilder at 215 pounds and 3% body fat, like literally did all those things at the same time. So he's super, super smart, really intelligent, but also total fitness guru. And uh, man, I just, I loved the conversation that we had. We talked about so 
many different things. Um, ben was uh, accepted into six medical schools, but it opted to instead attain a master's degree in exercise physiology and biomechanics, after which in 2005, he leapt hardcore into the fitness world, partnering with physicians and opening a series of personal training studios, gyms, and physiology and biomechanics labs across North Idaho and Eastern Washington, and eventually became voted as America's top personal trainer in 2008. While building his empire in the brick and mortar fitness industry, Ben competed as one of the top ranked amateur triathletes in the world and uh, completing over 120 races and 12 Ironman triathlons while racing for the elite team Timex multi-sport team, winning gold medal for the USA in a long course triathlon and leading squads of swim, bike, and run enthusiasts and guided adventures through Hawaii, Thailand, Japan, and beyond. I mean, the dude's just incredible. And he's also a New York Times best-selling author. So when I eventually was able to book Ben for the podcast, I was really, really stoked Obviously, just a few of the things we talked about, the benefits of intermittent fasting, how to unschool your kids, and what the real ROI of networking really is. But before we get into that, I wanted to let you all know that I opened up a few more days on my calendar for my VIP days. So if podcasting is something that is really on the top of your priority list for 2019, then I highly recommend checking this out. You're going to fly out here to Vegas, spend a full day with me one-on-one to either or to really help you launch your podcast or grow and monetize your podcast if you already have it launched. The whole experience is completely catered to you and I give you access to a specific few people in my network who I've invested a lot of money and a lot of hours into building relationships with. So head over to travischapel.com slash coaching to apply and hopefully I will see you here in Vegas really soon. And now here is my chat with Ben Greenfield. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course, of course. So there's so much that I want to get into with you um, and so many just areas of expertise and different things that we could talk about. But first, kind of want to go back here and build some context for anybody that's listening who may not know some of the amazing things that you're up to. So take us back all the way to the beginning here. Talk to me about childhood. Ben, what was it like growing up in the Greenfield household? Greenfield households was pretty odd. I was (laughs) schooled in North Idaho from K through 12, grew up kind of uh, in a rural area outside of a small town in North Idaho called Lewiston. And, uh, you know, the curriculum was very interesting. I was very self-motivated from an early age. And so my parents would just hand me piles of books and I'd go through them and typically just get up in the morning and bang everything out between about 7 and 11 a.m. and then spend the rest of my day you know, hunting down rattlesnakes out in the hills and hiking and you know, shooting hoops with my friends and going into the pool and playing tennis and just kind of kind of living a, a very, very outdoorsy life as a young man. I was very, very introverted as well. I uh, spent a lot of time either at the library hunting down books or isolated in my bedroom reading those books. Uh, typically, you know, I'd, I'd often come home from the library around 7 or 8 p.m. and just lay in my room until about 2 a.m. reading fiction like, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes or Lord of the Rings or C.S. Lewis's, you know, Chronicles of Narnia or Space Trilogy series. You know, my, my children now are the same way. You know, we really don't have much in the way of video games or television and they'll come home from school, you know, we'll go 
go outside and, and we kind of do all the unschooling when they get home from school, right? We shoot bows and we meditate and we do plant foraging and learn to build fires and do some weight training or some jujitsu. But, you know, by the time the evening rolls around, you know, by about 8.30, they're curled up in bed and they'll sometimes read until 10 or 10.30 and just fall asleep with typically a, a good fiction book cradled in their laps. And I have a hard time even keeping up now. There's there's so many new fiction titles out. I'm, I'm currently still trying to polish off the Harry Potter series, but I was the same way growing up. Uh, complete nerd. I love fantasy fiction. I played the, the violin uh, from the time I was five until I was 18. I uh, was president of the chess club. I, I wanted to be a computer programmer. I actually loved to play things like online World of Warcraft and, and Doom and, and uh, some of those earlier versions of, of online multiplayer games. And actually, my parents, uh, due to my interest in that, hired me a, like a personal computer programming tutor who taught me how to program video games. And really, up until the time I, I kind of discovered physical culture, you know, when I was 15, 16 years old and got into things like weightlifting and decided I wanted to try and play collegiate tennis and, and really enhance my, enhance my body and my physical development. I was, I was full on wanting to, to be a computer programmer. And, you know, my parents being the, the folks as they were, who were kind of bent towards more of a homeschooling, alternate schooling, unschooling route. They had me kind of dialed in for, for a practicum, for an internship with a guy who had worked for Microsoft and branched out and started his own computer consulting services. And so the plan was I was going to go on and, and kind of work with him and develop software, develop video games. And problem was I got so, so kind of enamored with tennis, which led to weight training, which led to me kind of hooking up with a couple of mentors in powerlifting and in bodybuilding that I went kind of full on hardcore into, into biomechanics and exercise physiology and wound up studying that in college. And kind of foregoing the whole computer programming route. I ditched the violin and picked up electric guitar. You know, I, I put on about about 40 pounds of muscle and I, I kind of transformed myself from the from the homeschooling geek into the into the big old built up muscular jock. And, and that was kind of how I rolled in college, although due to the extremely didactic nature of my upbringing, I was very keen in university to study a lot more of, of the science of the human body. So I, I was a pre-med major. I took all the upper level you know, microbiology and biochemistry and organic chemistry coursework, a lot of kind of more advanced human pharmacology coursework, uh, which helps me out now because, you know, one of the things I do now is I, you know, I formulate supplements and, and advise different companies and kind of the health and nutrition sector and uh, wound up graduating pre-med with a master's degree in physiology and biomechanics and kind of got accepted to a handful of medical schools, but wound up instead launching my own series of personal training studios and, and gyms and ran those for about five or six years and uh, kind of pivoted from that into doing a lot more speaking, a lot more private consulting, a lot more of what I do now, right? Like new media, podcasting, writing books, traveling around the world to different conferences and, and giving talks. But uh, back in the day, I was just kind of a counting reps for soccer moms who wanted to look good in bikinis. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, I competed in bodybuilding for a few years and then kind of pivoted into Ironman triathlon, both equally unhealthy sports when it comes to human longevity and health. But that was kind of into the, into the more masochistic uh, forms of forms of competition. Even now I race professionally in obstacle course racing for Spartan. So yeah, yeah I kind of, kind of progressed from the homeschooled nerd and into doing a lot more in physical culture. And, uh, you know, I guess now I've kind of come full circle. I'm working on my second book of fiction, a fantasy fiction series that I'm working on. And, uh, 
I've got a singing songwriting coach and I'm back into developing my musical career and, uh, you know, kind of just trying, trying to, uh, to take part in, in all of the thrills that life has to offer my purpose in life. I think everyone should be able to name their purpose in life in one single succinct sentence. And mine is to empower people and inspire people to live a more adventurous and joyful and fulfilling life. And I found that the only way I, I can do that is, is to myself live a live an adventurous and, and joyful and fulfilling life. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, such an incredible story. Do you think that your desire to jump into the fitness realm had a lot to do with the fact that you were kind of a, a self-proclaimed nerd back growing up? Or what, do, you, do you view them as totally separate points of accomplishment? Definitely. You know, I, I wanted to be the guy that, pardon the expression, you know, all the, the girls wanted to sleep with, right? And I wanted to be the cool kid. And I, I wanted to, to look good with my shirt off and not be the guy who got, you know, sand kicked in my face at the beach. And, you know, so, so yeah, I, I really was like, like a, a skinny book nerd and, and kind of went the complete opposite route and, and who knows, right? Maybe if I grew up in a family of, of muscular jocks, I would have, I would have decided that what I really wanted to do was be like a, a beatnik poet, right? So, right. so <laughs> you never know. Some, sometimes rebellion in, in adolescence years has a pretty profound impact on your career development. And for me, yeah, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of it was kind of like, you know, rebellion, wanting, wanting to be someone different. And uh, I think it served me well, though, because a large part of my career now does involve creative work. It does involve writing from which I borrow a lot of 
kind of the more advanced writing that I developed just from the, the hardcore reading and writing muscles that I built being homeschooled. My education was, was very much focused on the great books and a classical education with Latin and logic and creative writing. And so by the time I got to college and kind of figured out how to dump a bunch of science into the mix, it, it created for me an interesting career in which I was able to use the right brain creativity and kind of merge that with a little bit more of the left brained science. Right. Are your kids homeschooled? Do they go to public school, private school, charter school? Good question. So you're, you're no doubt familiar with Seth Godin's kind of philosophy and teachings of the fact that in some cases it can make sense for a parent to outsource a child's formal education, reading, writing, arithmetic, et cetera, to someone who's, who's better equipped to be able to teach those concepts. And then when that child walks in the door from school, your job of unschooling them begins, right? Your job of teaching them a lot of those things I alluded to earlier that they might not be learning in school begins. You're teaching them spiritual disciplines, meditation and fasting and silence and solitude and, and prayer and, you know, manifestation and a lot of these things that aren't as heavily emphasized in schools. A lot of kind of the more independent type of activities such as hunting and, and plant foraging and wilderness survival. We have a small you know, little farm out here in Spokane, Washington, and you know, we've got chickens and, and goats. And so they're out feeding the animals and hauling alfalfa down to the goats uh, or helping mom with chores around the house. And so we certainly place a great deal of emphasis on the unschooling component when they come in the door from, to answer your question, the private school that they attend. We homeschooled them for the first couple of years. Uh, we, we took a very traditional route of homeschooling, you know, mom, dad, kitchen table, books, curriculum, a few different curriculums that, that we would source from different homeschooling websites like Saxon Math or Usborne for Reading, or we use another, another curriculum called Five in a Row, which kind of was based on, on developing a, a child's uh, learning through, through stories. You'd read the same story for a week and learn about character development and plot and reading and spelling and writing from one story. And certainly found a lot of cool things in the, in the homeschooling sector. But my job progressively at that time was, in, involved a hefty amount of travel. Still does. I'm on the road for a good two to three weeks out of every month, you know, speaking and traveling and racing and competing and attending conferences. And uh, my wife is dyslexic. She hated school growing up and, and doesn't like reading or writing or really most elements of formal education, although she's a complete superstar you know, she's a rancher girl, you know, so she's a complete superstar when it comes to teaching things like making slow fermented sourdough bread or putting together feed for the chickens or crafts and painting and watercolor and, and oil painting. You know, she, and she can certainly do a great job teaching all those things to the children, but she's not the person you want wearing the, the formal teacher's hat. So after homeschooling for a couple of years, we, we stopped. And uh, now to answer your question about uh, what we do know, it is the private schooling with the unschooling and the children would, they twin boys and they'll be entering sixth grade next year. And once they're done with fifth grade uh, and entering into this summer, I'm setting them down and giving them the option to drop out of school, at which point uh, we would begin simply taking them around the world, traveling, really focusing on a more experiential education. You know, everything from, from bringing folks over to the house to teach them how to butcher a whole hog to taking into account their love right now for cooking and putting them in a lot of cooking classes. There's a, a, a farm in Kauai that I'd love to send them to to learn how to grow superfoods and develop tinctures and powders and oils. And and, you know, there's another sustainable farm back in Missouri that they can go and do an internship at and, and learn a lot more about sustainable agriculture. And so there's so many different 
kind of experiential forms of education that I'm seeing emerging that I don't want to pull them out of school and have them be embittered, but I want to sit them down, show them all of the cool things that they could be doing, and then give them the option here before they begin sixth grade to to jump back into homeschooling, but I would take all the money that I'm paying for private school tuition and instead use that to hire a series of tutors, to have kind of an executive assistant for education that puts together the curriculum, and to do things a little bit differently than than kind of a formal, again, like homeschooling with mom and dad at the kitchen table type of route. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes, makes a lot of sense. What about when they get up into like the college age? What are your thoughts on that whole process and system? A strict criteria for the homeschooling would be that they'd be well-equipped to pass a college entrance exam, that they still be given a formal education where they'll learn things, you know, skills like algebra and calculus and trigonometry and, and physics and the things that they would need to pass a college entrance exam. Because the last thing I want is my children to turn 18, decide they want to be an astronaut or an engineer or a surgeon, and then realize mom and dad didn't really give them what they needed to even be able to get into a university or a college. And, you know, I, I certainly think that in many cases, university is, is a waste of time. Like if you want to be in an author, right? Or if you want to be, you know, even in many cases, like like a, like a, a programmer or anything else that does not involve flying a rocket ship to the moon or doing surgery on someone, in which case I do think a formal education, which someone has jumped through a certain series of hoops is, is definitely something that, that I want. I think that in many cases, kind of an internship, practicum, real world practical working experience is a better way to go compared to college, which tends to be overpriced, really focused more on, you know, the social aspects, you know, partying, going to the football games, taking all these elective courses that, frankly, I get the idea of, of a well-rounded education, but at the same time, many of these courses are a waste of time. And I think if anything, there, there are some very good liberal arts universities. There's even one close to our home called uh, New St. Andrews excellent school in uh, Moscow, Idaho with a wonderful teaching staff. And, you know, that's the type of thing that I think makes sense for college is like a good basic liberal arts education that equips you for, for going into just about any career. But I even think higher up on the totem pole than that is just practical hands-on work experience. And then the only place I, I really think that college fits into the mix is when you need a, a formal education that involves a series of coursework, which then proves that you are able to enter into higher education, you know, go on to whatever MIT or, or medical school or something like that. But ultimately, I, I think there are very few careers that really need a, a university education. Hey, what's up, fellow and future networkers? Want to listen to Build Your Network a day early? Download the Himalaya app and follow the show for exclusive first access. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters, aka me, some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free. It's the easiest platform to use, and they're adding cool new features every single day. So go to the app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow Build Your Network once you're there. Going through some of your backstory and stuff, you were doing so much stuff in college. So you obviously took a different approach to college, I, I would say, than a lot of other people did with you got school and extracurriculars, work and all this other stuff that you're doing. You've worked at like seven different places in here, but you still maintain the 4.0. Is that right? Yeah, I think part of being homeschooled is that I was jaded. I really had no idea of, of what was normal. You know, I graduated when I was 15 
and would just like eat up coursework like crazy. So when I got to college, I'd take, you know, 28 to 30 credits a semester. I worked for, you know, at that point, I, I worked as a personal trainer. I worked as a nutritionist. I worked at the, the French bakery in the morning, you know, from about 4 to 6 a.m. And then I'd work at the gym in the afternoon, training all the people who I'd sold chocolate eclairs to earlier in the morning <laughs> in the French bakery. Uh, I'd, you know, be at college during the day, uh, get a little bit of homework done. And then I was a bartender and uh, a barista at a local coffee shop and pub in the evening. And uh, yeah, I, I did a lot of things. And I guess I've always grown up with this idea of taking advantage of every single second, every single minute in life. And some of that has has been to the detriment of, of certain other things. Like my social skills were very poor, right? Like I, I grew up as a really good, independent, kind of lone wolf mentality, free thinking type of kid, but didn't work well with others. Like I'd get an assignment in college, you know, and you'd be in a group of five people and supposed to tackle something as a group. And I just do it all myself and tell people, oh, no, I'll do that. I'll take care of that. I'll do that. And I just micromanage everything. And so I've had to learn quite a bit, especially now being the, the CEO of a, of a supplements company, I've had to learn how to delegate, how to trust others, how to not micromanage. And I do think that's another advantage of having some amount of social interaction, whatever educational experience you design for a child, you need them to learn how to be a good little factory worker, how to play well with others, how to cooperate with others, how to be a member of a team. And so I think, you know, even with the homeschooling route, you know, whether we go back into homeschooling this next year or in any scenario, you do need to make sure a child has a, has a great deal of time spent with their peers in some type of team building or cooperative scenario. Cause that's, that's the one thing that I, that I did really have many skills in, you know, by the time I got to college, you know, I'm sitting in college at 16 years old, playing for the tennis team and, and, you know, taking all my courses and just wasn't, wasn't very robust socially. I had to learn a lot of that, you know, by doing things like going to conferences and, you know, reading books like Kevin Ferrazzi's Never Eat Alone or, or, or Susan Cain's Power of Introverts. And, you know, I really had to, had to learn how to build my social skills quite a bit being a complete introvert, right? Like, you know, my Myers-Briggs analysis, my, my quiet revolution test, you know, all of these things indicate extreme introversion, but I've also, you know, learned that, as an extreme introvert, that also allows me to do a very good job speaking one to many or sometimes one on one. I didn't do well at cocktail parties, for example. So the idea is that I did do a lot in college, you know, in terms of jobs and coursework, et cetera, but I probably neglected a little bit more of the social component than than I than I should have or could have. Do you think that you have just been raised or built or is just the way you are in terms of taking on challenge after challenge, filling up every day, every minute of every day with all these different things that you have going on, really excelling at all of them, not, you know, not doing one really well and then doing the other one kind of mediocrely or that's even a word, but you do so many things and you do them all really well. Was there a time, especially during college, where you just kind of felt like overwhelmed? Like, why am I doing all of this? Why am I not just going to the parties and doing this and that instead of filling up my schedule every day? Well, and by the way, I do like the word mediocrely. I'm going to add that to my vernacular. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> my wife will sit on the hammock outside on the porch and sip a glass of wine while staring at the sunset for like an hour and a half at night. And I'll try to go out there and like sit with her for five minutes. I'll just go stir crazy. I'll be like, I want to go practice this song on my guitar, work on a, on a book or go shoot my bow or go watch this YouTube video on, on how to prepare a good ribeye steak and, and, you know, or go learn how to change a diaper or build a ship or write a sauna, you know, as that, as that Robert Heinlein quote goes, you know, to specialization is for insects. And so I think that to a certain extent, 
growing up with that mentality, maintaining that mentality through college, and then just kind of continuing that mentality into my working career. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think I'm just wired that way. And it does bother me sometimes when I have a bunch of friends who are going to like, go to the beach for the day and hang out at the beach. And that that's like my idea of what that's torture for me to just go hang out. <laughs> at the last thing I do. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have a paddleboard. I'm going to go on some epic paddleboarding trip while I listen to an audiobook, Right. And part of me occasionally wishes that I could just relax, let go and just go and do something completely purposeless. At the same time though, I think that it does serve me better and it serves my particular purpose and the way I'm wired up better to go out and and be as productive as possible and not necessarily have a lot of that downtime where you're not doing anything at all. Now, that being said, I meditate, you know, I I go on on walks in the silence. And, you know, I, I certainly embrace the idea of not being floored on the gas pedal the entire time at 100% productivity pace. But even if I'm meditating, right, I'm not meditating necessarily because I love the silence and the solitude. I'm meditating because I know it decreases salivary cortisol and improves theta brainwave production and is associated with an increased level of of brain-derived neurotrophic factor and neurogenesis and and allows for faster sleep onset later on in the day. Like even when I'm meditating, it's for a very distinct purpose. It's not to just like check out and and sit cross-legged for 20 minutes, you know. So even that's going out of the back of my head while I'm meditating. It's like, oh, I'm achieving all these, all these cool things of being productive. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So even, even when you're being mindless, it's on purpose. Exactly. It's, it's purposefulness, mindfulness. So let's talk a little bit about some fitness things. You started getting into some, uh, into some stuff there at the end of that question. So this is something that I've been doing for a while. And when people ask me why I do it, I know that it's good and I can give them one or two answers, but I think it'd be better coming from somebody like you. So talk to me about the benefits or dangers, whatever, do's and don'ts of intermittent fasting. Oh, that's an interesting question. So intermittent fasting, I don't know how well versed your audience is in in this particular topic and can define it for if you would like. Yeah, for sure. Please do. So intermittent fasting is based on the concept of what are called compressed feeding windows, meaning that multiple bodies of research has shown that when you compress all of your feeding into a specific window, typically eight to 12 hours, your body increases its amount of what's called cellular autophagy, which you can think of as, as your body taking out the trash, cleaning up cells, clearing out inflammation, rebuilding the, the mucosal lining of the gut, improving the integrity of the blood brain barrier and decreasing inflammation in, in the brain and improving joint health. And there, there are all these things that seem to happen when you're not dumping calories down the hatch 24 seven, the body responds very well to this concept of press pulse cycling, right? You work out, but you don't work out hard the next day after you've worked out. Instead, you work out and you recover. Then you work out again and you recover. You work hard all week and we, we can even, you know, look, look to religion and, and you know, wh- whether, it's, whether you think it's lore or myth or whether you think it's truth, you know, this idea that like God created the world in six days and then rested on the seventh day and just laid back and then, and let everything build or this concept of, you know, many, many cultures having some kind of a, a Sabbath or religious observation where they're resting on one day of the week. Or we look at like the Mediterranean diet, which a lot of people think involves just shoving copious amounts of, of olive oil 
oil and, and goat cheese down the hatch. But really, you know, in the Mediterranean diet, there are periods of time of meat restriction, periods of time of even olive oil restriction, periods of time, you know, or my, my father follows something very similar to a Mediterranean diet. He's a, he's a part of the Orthodox church. And so, you know, we'll finish up Thanksgiving dinner and he's not having meat or dairy until Christmas, you know. So the, the body does seem to respond very favorably to this idea of almost like feast, famine, cycling rest work kind of scenarios. And with intermittent fasting, it's the same idea, right? So, so you feed during a certain period of time, then, then you give your gut a complete break. And the way that, that I personally do this, and most folks do it, is you simply choose 12 to 16 hours of each 24-hour cycle during which you don't eat. And the, the beautiful part about it is most of that can be done during a night of sleep when hopefully you're not going to be up eating anyways. So if you finish your last feeding of the day at, let's say, 8 p.m., you would say, okay, I'm not going to eat again until at least 8 a.m. and wait until, in many cases, especially if you're not like an extreme exercise enthusiast or athlete, wait up until almost noon to eat, right? Like that's a, that's a 16-hour fast. I find that most of the very active people I work with or the very, very lean people I work with, they do better with closer to a 12-hour scenario you know, like whatever, uh, an 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. type of intermittent fast. But I do that 365 days a year. I mean, if, and if I get up at, at, at midnight to eat a snack because I'm hungry, well, I, I don't eat again until noon the next day, right? Like at least 12 hours. And the body responds very, very well to that type of scenario. It's something that we see over and over again in many of these so-called blue zones where there are disproportionate number of people living a long period of time, these centenarians, you know, there are many components of their lifestyle that seems to enhance longevity, such as high intake of wild plants, typically one to two drinks of alcohol in the evening from a really good, clean alcohol source, like a a ferment, like a kombucha or or red wine or something like that, you know, high intake of tannin-rich compounds like teas and coffees, a lot of time spent outdoors with low-level physical activity, a lot of family, love, life, relationships woven in, high intake of legumes, which are kind of like a a low glycemic index, you know, slow-carbohydrate type of food, and then some element of fat Fasting is, is something you'll find quite often in, in many of these cultures. So there's even a researcher named Dr. Walter Longo who wrote a book called The Longevity Diet. And I'm not into diet books per se. I don't think there's like a one-size-fits-all diet. But a, a big component of his book and a lot of the research he's done uh, shows profound improvements in longevity with, with not only things like intermittent fasting, but also having certain seasons where you do a spring cleaning for your body. And in that case, in his research particularly, that means that five days out of each quarter, you eat a very low calorie intake. You kind of like cleanse your body. And Ayurvedic medicine has a very similar concept. And this is what I personally do. I I use more of an Ayurvedic approach where for five days, the beginning of the spring, the beginning of the summer, the beginning of the winter, and the beginning of the fall, you cleanse your body. And to give you a, a very hardcore example of that or, or a very specific example of that, the way that I do it is, is I, I make this wonderful tasting uh, Ayurvedic stew called Kitchari. K-I-T-C-H-A-R-I, Kitchari. And it's like split mung beans with, with cumin and, and, and turmeric and ginger and, and fennel. And I cook that up with a little basmati rice. And I just make a giant vat of it that'll last me those five days. And uh, then I, I just have that. I drink some celery juice. I do a lot of infrared sauna to, to sweat out and detoxify my body. I even, you know, not to scare people off, but, but I'll even like weave a coffee enema into, into one of those, those five days. 
and you feel like a million bucks at the end of those days. And, and you're typically eating only about 40 to 50% of the normal calorie intake that you take in, but it, it resets the liver and increases the flow of bile coming out of the gallbladder. And you know, whether you do that or whether you, for example, do like a, a prepaid meal kit, Dr. Longo, who I named earlier, he's even partnered up with a company called El Nutra, where they just ship a kit called a Prolon kit to your home. A lot of the busy executives who I work with, they just use that route, you know, rather than making their own their own hippy dippy stew in the kitchen. They just eat <laughs> this, this this packaged Prolon kit. When it comes to packaged food, it's it's not that unhealthy. But yeah, that type of practice, honestly. So I'll step back and give you my own fasting scenario. I do that twelve to sixteen hour fast every single day of the year, even Christmas day, you know, I, I just fast every day. And again, it's almost all overnight, four times a year, I do a little bit of a seasonal cleanse, like I just described. And then one to two times a month, I do a dinner time to dinner time fast. Typically, Saturday after I finish dinner, I'll just not eat again until Sunday at dinner time. And I find that to be a very sustainable scenario, right? You have your 12 to 16 hour daily fast, one to two times a month, you do a 24 hour fast. And then once each quarter, you do a five-day kind of modified fast where you're still eating, but it's a lower number of calories than you normally eat and typically a very, very, very clean dietary intake of something like that, you know, like that kitchery stew I described. What about your workout plan or regimen during those times when you are fasted? During fasting, it's very interesting because you know, a lot of people will think that they need to completely avoid high-intensity exercise or weight training during a fasting scenario, but by loading the muscle and by stressing the muscle, you actually increase your protein synthesis and your muscle repair and you stave off some of the muscle loss that so many people are nervous might occur while they're fasting, especially people who work out a lot. They're like, I'm going to lose all my gains, bro. You know, <laughs> they start their fast, but it actually, especially if you're doing uh, not like a CrossFit workout, but for example, you know, like a five by five workout where it's just five sets of five reps of a heavy chest press, pull down or pull up, shoulder press, deadlift, and squat. You know, something like that that's not draining the body of carbohydrates, but is simply loading the body briefly with, with very heavy weights. That actually does a very good job sustaining muscle when you fast, especially when you consider that fasting can result in a several hundred percentage increase in growth hormone and also a significant increase in testosterone. So you're kind of primed to build or maintain muscle when you fast, and a lot of times people find that if they do this after they've finished a fast, they actually put on muscle and burn fat far more easily. So number one would be it's okay to weight train. You just don't want to do a, a draining CrossFit workout versus like kind of kind of one of those workouts where you're just lifting heavy weights for a very brief period of time. Like if I'm doing a shoulder press, it's one, two, three, four, five. And that's it. And it's down, you know, whereas if you were doing a CrossFit workout, it's like go row 500 meters and do 30 reps of that. Right. So, right. right. And then 25 burpees. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, of course, you got to have your burpees thrusters. The other thing that, that works very well with fasting are more of more of kind of the passive activities that also cleanse the body at the same time as a fast. So some of that would include some type of cold thermogenesis, like visiting a cryotherapy chamber or jumping into a, a, an icy cold river or lake or pool or even taking an ice bath, along with, like I mentioned earlier, some form of heat therapy, such as the use of a dry sauna or an infrared sauna. Uh, infrared is particularly good because the photons of light penetrate the body a little bit deeper and, and cause an accelerated sweat response. And considering that you're... Would a sauna be 
better than a steam room? Does a steam room fit in that equation at all? Steam rooms have the least amount of research on them in terms of either the detoxification benefits or the life extending benefits. The other thing you got to be aware of with steam rooms is in many cases, you'll find them in gyms or health clubs. And a lot of people don't think about that. But a lot of these gyms and health clubs, they don't filter their water. So you're breathing in vapors from the municipal water supply that are chock full of chlorine or birth control pills or fluoride or whatever else happens to be in the water. And you're just tucking this in and soaking it into your skin. So I'm not a fan of, of steam rooms. And, and it's also not, not very easy to outfit, say, like your basement or your garage with a steam room. Whereas getting a barrel sauna or getting an infrared sauna is something that, that is more and more readily available and affordable these days. You know, I've got a little infrared sauna in, in my basement and just go and, and sit in that. And so sauna and cold or heat and cold pair very well with fasting, as does those brief bouts of heavier weight training. And then uh, the other thing I'm a fan of is earthing, grounding, and sunlight exposure, all of which are very natural activities that help to heal the body, that help to increase uh, your, your mitochondrial density, that help to improve your circadian rhythms. And the way that you could do that is, is you simply go for a daily walk in the sunshine, you know, a 20-minute to a 60-minute walk in the sunshine while you're on your phone calls or listening to an audiobook or a podcast. And the, the earthing or the grounding component that I referred to is that if you're able to and you live in a warm area, especially near a coast, you do it barefoot on the beach. And if you're, you're in a cooler climate, there are even, so you wear big built up rubber soled shoes and you actually, you don't get any exposure to the electromagnetic frequencies that are produced by the surface of the planet. And there, there's a great documentary that kind of walks people through this called Grounded, or you could look up earthing and, and grounding. I first discovered it when one of my physician friends who works with a couple different Tour de France teams informed me that, that he has all of the cyclists sleep on these earthing or grounding mats during the night and, and get outside barefoot, you know, after each of the stages of, of the tour to, to heal their bodies. And so I'll try to walk barefoot or they even make shoes that are called earthing shoes or grounding shoes. And most of these are either sandals or shoes that have copper plugs built into the bottom of them. Uh, like earth runners is one brand or, or plugs is another brand. And so you're maintaining this direct electrical connection with the surface of the planet. You know, the same as our ancestors would have done when walking outside barefoot or wearing animal skins on their feet or camping or sleeping outside. So you lift weights, you get some heat, you get some cold, you walk barefoot or, or with earthing or grounding shoes outside in the sunshine. And those are some things that, that seem to do very well in a fasting scenario. And the only other thing I would throw in there is, of course, yoga, which is you know very passive, very healing, very focused on breath work and spirituality and like a good yoga practice or even killing two birds with one stone and going and doing like a Bikram yoga session you know, in a hot room. All of these things are, are great to do when you're fasting. Ben, we could talk about this for a really long time just because all this kind of stuff really intrigues me. If you're, if you're listening right now and you're like, man, I want to hear more about this kind of stuff, you can definitely check out some of Ben's stuff over at Ben Greenfield Fitness. Um, he's got a tremendous podcast and he's uh, a guest on a lot of podcasts and he talks uh, really, really well, obviously, about all this kind of stuff. So definitely go check out some of that stuff. And Ben, I, I want to kind of get into a little bit of a networking conversation here since this is the Build Your Network podcast. And uh, just in doing research for this show, found that you have have some great relationships with, with a lot of great people and uh, a lot of people that I've had the privilege of, have, of having on this show as well. And uh, it's just one of the most important activities that I've found is to, is to have great relationships with great people to level up your inner circle so you can level up yourself. So the question that I ask to kind of get this conversation rolling in the right direction, and this is one that I ask every single guest that comes on the show, who you know or what you know, Ben, which one is more important? Mm. 
That's a really interesting question. Who you know or what you know. I think that it really is who you know. The reason for that is, is I know a lot of, of brilliant researchers, physicians, even authors, these diamonds in the rough, these unicorns, and I'll a lot of times find these people for my podcast, right? Like, I'm not a huge fan of having on my podcast the person who's on 30 other podcasts because they're on some kind of a book tour. Everybody knows about them. They're marketing machines. But ultimately, what I like to find are those people who, who have a really good body of knowledge who are very good technicians, you know, to, to, to borrow the term from the E-Myth book, but who may not actually know people. They may not be out there networking, attending conferences, building flesh and blood relationships, buying drinks at bars or using tactics such as to return to a book like, you know, like Keith Ferrazzi's Never Eat Alone book, you know, actually learning how to conference and network effectively. All, all skills that, again, like I mentioned, I, I had to, to very slowly and painfully learn after, after homeschooling. And the reason I'm telling you this is because a lot of times these diamonds in the rough, these people that I find, they know a lot. They've got the what you know part down pat. But because they don't have a very good who you know component, because they haven't gone out and done a lot of networking, bitten the bullet and paid the money to attend the conference, buy the plane ticket, and then arrived at the conference and not necessarily been the person sitting with their butt planted in a chair taking notes, but instead they're out in the hallway, you know, making chat. They're, they're at the after dinners and the after parties, you know, buying drinks and, and getting to know people and, and building out their network. What they know never really makes its way out into the universe or allows them to make as big a mark as they could on the planet with the life that they've been given. So while it's important to have a good body of knowledge and to pride yourself upon educating yourself in your specific sector, if you don't actually know people and you don't actually have a network, it's highly unlikely that the information that you've gained is going to be disseminated into the rest of the world as effective a manner. So what I wish I could say is it's what you know and who you know, right? Like the, I think the most effective people on the place of the planet, on the face of the planet, they know a lot. I read a book a day. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I spend the first hour of my day at least pouring through research and journals and different Twitter feeds that have aggravated in, into you know specific sectors like longevity or digestion or, or cognitive performance or or anything along those lines. And then I go out and I actually network. Like I'm on the planes, going to the conferences, you know, getting to know people, building out my network. And, and so ideally you have both, but I think that I see that a lot of people who don't even know that much, like don't, they don't have that what you know down very well at all, but they know a lot of people. They've got the who you know down. They're very, they're very successful. Whereas it's right. pretty rare to find somebody who's got the what you know, but not the who you know who is that successful. Yeah, I feel like those people are more like the unicorns, you know, the ones that are ultra successful, that there was just no possible way that they weren't going to be successful because they're just geniuses. That's one of my favorite things to do, though, is to lay in bed with a book written by somebody like that and know that I'm going to give them the who you know, right? Like, I'm going to interview them on podcasts. Universe is going to explode with their knowledge. And it's fun to lay there with some book written by, you know, a book you can't even find on Amazon that you bought on Kickstarter or whatever. And you're like, my gosh, this person is brilliant. They've been steeped in whatever, gut cleansing for the past 20 years, working with a very small number of clientele and freaking whatever, 
Newfoundland <laughs> and they have this huge body of knowledge that nobody knows about. And I get to bring them to the world and get on the podcast with them and ask them all these questions and bring them from the what you know into the who you know sector. And that's kind of a fun part of my job, honestly. Yeah. And, and that, that's the big thing too, is that I found that people who really focus on increasing the who, their what kind of seems to naturally rise with the who, if that makes sense. So like all the stuff that we talked about today, I just, I was never exposed to any of this until I launched my podcast and started connecting with people and going out to these events and, and bringing people on the show and reading, reading their materials before I would have them on to have more of a knowledge base about what they talk about. Like my what has increased dramatically because my who has also increased. And I find that the opposite is somewhat true, but not as exponential, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you found this to be the case, but I certainly have is the what you know initially is kind of hard. Like you're, you're on PubMed, you're, you're hunting down the best books, you're, you're, you're trying to somehow keep your finger on the pulse of the knowledge that that you want to attain. And then once you've added, let's say a dozen high quality people into your relationship network, like for me, it's typically physicians and researchers, right? Who I've had on the podcast who all of a sudden have my email address. And now when I wake up, it's pretty seldom that I don't have anywhere between three and five emails with links to research studies from each of those people who say, Hey Ben, did you see this? Did you check this out? So rather than me having to go out and pull information for the, what I know, information is now being pushed to me repeatedly as I build my network. So it almost makes the what you know, even more exponentially increase when you have that who you know component, because people are all of a sudden feeding you information. Yeah, yeah, they're feeding you information. And then when you when you get around the right people, when you build the right networks on purpose, and create your own environment around you, and there's a bunch of other people in that environment that are learning about what you want to learn about, you're just automatically going to like raise to that level anyway, or you're not going to be able to stay in that network very long, because those people are always increasing their knowledge base and always leveling up their what. So if you're not doing that, it's just like going to naturally either take you out of that or not naturally bump you up onto that more like level of awareness of trying to get on that same wavelength of, of learning the, the practices that you're going about trying to learn. So I think that that is 100% the way that it is. Can you tell me about a, a specific time really quick, Ben, in your career where you found like a, a connection, a relationship that you had led to this big opportunity that you would otherwise not have had? Mm. Yeah, there, there are there are many of them. So I'm trying to think one I one I can give without necessarily compromising the the anonymity of, of some some of my clients. So I, I, I train a lot of kind of higher end professional athletes now, executives and some very big names in, in media. And most of those introductions have been made to me by specifically like practitioners who I've networked with at conferences. You know, like, well, let's take for example. I'm building a, a relationship right now with Tony Robbins, right? And, and I would have never met Tony Robbins if it hadn't been for meeting up with his personal trainer, uh, Billy Beck, who kind of speaks the same language as me when it comes to fitness and health and longevity. And, and he was very interested in what I had to say. And then he made the introduction to Tony. And, you know, and, and I'm currently in the process of, of kind of building out that relationship with someone who I find very inspiring and, and who's, you know, kind of one of those pinch me is pretty cool to be working or, or, or talking with this person. Another example that I'm currently uh, working on building would be like a, a guy who I really respect is Richard Branson, right? Like I've, I've never hung out with him 
never met him, never had a chance to, to sit down with him, pick his brain or have him on the podcast. But, you know, I got very into gut health a couple of years ago and how you could test the microbiome of, of the gut. And I, I branched out and started interviewing all these gut researchers and then met a guy who, uh, named, named Naveen Jain, who, who owns a company called Viome that does gut microbiome testing. And now, you know, Naveen has invited me out to Necker Island where I'll get a chance to, to meet and, and see Richard Branson. And, and so, yeah, it's almost like you don't look at people as stepping stones, right? Like that's not what I'm saying at all, but just by generating relationships that interest me in specific sectors that I'm in, like fitness or health or longevity, you know, it's now leading to relationships with people who are kind of like on my bucket list of folks I want to have on my podcast, you know, so it's very likely, you know, like in the, in the next few months, I'll, I'll have Tony on the show or Richard on the show. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's what comes to mind when you ask me that question. Yeah. And, and what you just said, like, that's really the whole point of this entire show, Ben, is to show people the power and the magic of building real relationships with people, like not in a transactional manner, not in, like you said, a stepping stone manner. But I think that's why so many people don't do it because they can't see the stepping stones. Like they, they can't map it out, right? Another one for you that just happened this morning. So I was in LA. I was attending a, a longevity conference in LA. And uh, actually a guy who, who I already mentioned earlier, uh, Keith Ferrazzi, he, he invited me over to, to his place for dinner and he had a few kind of like executives there who really weren't in the health or longevity sector, but were very keenly interested in it. And, you know, I sat at dinner, I, I chatted with a few folks, I, I kind of, I guess, spewed some of my knowledge in that specific area that I'm kind of an idiot savant in and, and, <laughs> and know a lot about it, you know, in, in, in health and in this case, anti-aging and longevity. And just this morning, I got an email from Keith and, and his assistant that said, man, there are so many questions generated from that dinner. We want to, to interview you for this private newsletter that we're sending out to 1500 top executives. And all of that happened just because I, I randomly said yes to jet up to a dinner in LA that I thought could just be a, a boring formal dinner with a bunch of execs who I had absolutely no common ground with. And you know, then all of a sudden it turns into this fabulous networking opportunity that popped up in my email inbox two hours ago. Yeah, I love that, man. That's like, these are the kind of stories that I like to highlight because like I said, I think a lot of people just neglect the whole practice because they can't measure the ROI specifically, but you just got to trust that it's going to come back exponentially more than the effort that you put into it. And you have to manifest too. I mean, like, you know, people laugh at thinking grow rich and the secret or even the original uh, the book by Charles Hennell, The Master Key System, probably one of the better kind of like correspondence courses that was turned into a book on on how to combine meditation and, and manifestation to realize your goals. But when you visualize what you want to achieve, you know, let, let's say that I decide that I really want to have Oprah on my show. Well, as woo-woo as this might sound, by me going in and, and meditating and visualizing uh, me maybe, you know, traveling out to to whatever, her townhouse in, in New York City, and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm in interviewing her and we're having a fabulous chat for two hours and I'm picking her brain on, on how she built her company and what her top kind of health habits are and, you know, how she eats or, you know, how she trains or, you know, what she's learned over the past 30 years. And I'm visualizing that the same way that Michael Phelps, when he was competing in the Olympics, would visualize the individual droplets of water coming off of his goggles. And you'd be surprised at how much comes to you because you'll subconsciously take steps without even realizing it towards that thing that you've manifested. 
And it's very interesting. When you program your subconscious, you begin to take these steps that you might even be unaware of, right? Like maybe I'm walking through Barnes and Noble and I see her book there on the shelf and I pick it up and I read it. And it turns out that like personal trainer is one separate degree of connection away from me. And so I ping them on Facebook and, and we're chatting back and forth. And then they invite me to a, to a dinner that maybe they're having that Oprah might happen to be at. And, and yeah, I mean, it's very interesting when you combine this networking with some form of meditation and manifestation, you combine the woo with the concrete. And yeah, like you said, opportunities just seem to just come out of nowhere. Yeah, man, I love that. If, if I don't put an end to this conversation, we'll probably be talking for another two or three hours. <laughs> so and I know you got stuff to do and I know I got some stuff to do. So let's go ahead and move on here to the last segment, something I like to call the random round, just a few really quick random questions and quick random answers. You ready? Let's do it. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Singing, songwriting. I was just playing an open mic night last night and I want to record my first album by the time that I'm 50 and just absolutely love music. Brings joy to my heart. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat with them for an hour, who would it be and why? Theodore Roosevelt, a man's man, a guy who who really defined, I think, what it means to be masculine and a leader, but also to be kind of a, a peacemaker and a, and a renaissance man. And, and he's got this wonderful series of books not a lot of people know about, about his hunting adventures and his wilderness adventures. And, and he's, he's just this, this wealth of knowledge, but able to express his thoughts on paper. And he's one of those guys who I think was a, was a real man's man in a renaissance. How do you like to consume content, books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? audio because I, I exercise so much that having information between my ears helps quite a bit. And then also books. I'm a speed reader. And so I, I go through books like crazy. What I can't stand are, are videos. Like I, I, uh, if somebody tells me to watch a documentary, I have my assistant convert it into an MP3 and I listen to it. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Give me an audio book that you've listened to recently that you recommend to everybody. Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, which ironically enough, I listen to on a smartphone, but it's a, a wonderful, wonderful book and has me checking my Twitter feed far less. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Wake up, fill out my gratitude journal, lay in bed for a little while and, and just do some breathing to give me a little bit of affluence of time going into the day. I go downstairs, I, I put on the hot water for coffee and I spend 15 to 20 minutes of doing mobility work, foam rolling, deep tissue massage. And so I figure by the end of any given week with that practice, I've amassed a good you know, 90 minutes to two hours of, of self-inflicted massage that makes my body feel like a million bucks along with at least 30 minutes of gratitude. And I think it's a good way to start the day. What is your go-to pump-up song? I don't listen to any pump-up songs. I only listen to podcasts or audiobooks when I am training. If I could choose one uh, up until the time I discovered podcasts and audiobooks, it was always Eye of the Tiger. I've not missed a single Rocky movie except Creed 2, which as soon as it comes out next week, I will be watching. What is something that you are not very good at? Surprisingly to a lot of people, I'm very poor at body awareness and depth perception and was never a naturally talented athlete. Anything such as uh, gymnastics, backflips, uh, snowboarding moves, et cetera, I absolutely suck at. I've had to work very, very hard to build myself into an athlete. And as we get everything wrapped up here, Ben, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? Google. Uh, <laughs> Greenfieldfitness.com. Perfect. Perfect. So head over to Ben Greenfieldfitness.com to learn more about Ben. Download his podcast, subscribe over there. I promise you will not regret it. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show today, brother. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Dude, thanks for having me on the call. You're, you're a wonderful interviewer and I had a, a wonderful time. 
Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds here on Build Your Network. They are literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is a new term to you, or you've always kind of wondered exactly what a mastermind is or what it does or how much they are, how to find one, all those types of details, you are definitely going to want to take my free mastermind course. It is everything you need to know about masterminds in just six short lessons. It's 100% free. So there's literally no reason to not at least see what it's about. Just head over to travischapel.com to grab that course and start today. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.